Hello and welcome to The Long View, a podcast that takes a closer look at the games people play. The Long View is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Go and check out all that the Dice Tower has to offer. They have a huge database of reviews and commentary. Uh, their uh, site is fully searchable and indexed, so you can go in and type in a person's name. You can go in and type in the name of a game. Uh, anything that has anything to do with either of those two things will instantly pop. You'll see reviews of games. You'll see video links. You'll see all kinds of stuff. You'll see contributions made by a particular individual. Um, it's all fully searchable and indexed, and it's a fantastic resource for board gamers. That's thedicetower.com. Longview is also proudly sponsored by gamesurplus.com. Go and check out all that Game Surplus has to offer. They have a huge selection of games. They have unparalleled customer service, super fast shipping, and the ability to track down anything that you might be looking for. Uh, if you send uh, Velma an email over there at games at gamesurplus.com, let her know what you're looking for, and she'll track it down for you just as quickly as you can. So go check out why gamesurplus.com is my choice whenever I buy board games online. And if you do go, uh, please be sure to tell them the long view sent you. I also, of course, want to send a shout-out to my local game store, The Gamer's Edge in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Go and check out all that they have to offer. They are a growing resource for people here in the Northeast PA region and northern New Jersey. They are convenient, uh, located right off of Interstate 80 in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, right on Main Street. They have a huge collection of board games, card games, collectible card games, lots of open space, a friendly staff. Go and check out why The Gamer's Edge is a fantastic place for gamers here in our neck of the woods. My name is Jeff Gamble, I'm the host of The Long View, and today I am very pleased to be joined all the way from Dayton, Ohio, by Jimmy Okalika, uh, who is going to be talking with me tonight about the fantastic and intriguing title, 18OE. So, Jimmy, thanks a lot for agreeing to be on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Good to be here. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, you know, this is uh, quite a big game, uh, very difficult, uh, you know, for, for me to even thinking about doing a review on my own. And so uh, I was really pleased when, you know, you responded that you'd be willing to talk about this game because I, I've dipped my toes in the 18xx waters, as, as some might say. Um, but I don't have a, an enormous amount of experience with them. And I know, uh, you know, from following you uh, on BGG and, and other kind of writing that you've done, I know that you are. And, and as a matter of fact, one of the things that, that really uh, caught my attention was I actually read your uh, written review of 18OE on Board Game Geek, and I thought, wow, you know, this is Jimmy. I know this guy. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like, hey, I know that guy. And I thought, hey, you know, this would be great because, um, you know, you have kind of a, a wealth of experience uh, that I don't have. So uh, I was really pleased that you were willing to, to do the show. So thank you very much for that. Oh, my pleasure. I, I, I love 18OE. I've been playing it since it was in a play test. Uh, I had the, the chance to play test some of the short scenarios with uh, Mark Frazier and the, uh, the designer Ed Sinclair. And yeah, I've been, been loving it ever since. Yeah, you know, it, it's a game that really just uh, is 
difficult to describe in some ways because of the sheer scope of it. But it's also difficult to describe because of all of the kind of uh, flexibility that the game offers. And I think we'll touch on that a little bit later. Um, for those out there listening, I, I want to say right off the bat that, you know, this is a game about, uh, you know, the 18xx kind of series of games. These are train games, transportation games. Sometimes they're themed even in outer space. Most of them, however, I'm thinking of like 20, what is it, 2038? I think that's uh, mm-hmm. um, themed out in space. It's like asteroid mining or something of that nature, right? Yep, yep. <clears throat> Exactly. And there's there's others, you know, most of them, however, are, are kind of all about the sort of golden age of rail. If you're unfamiliar with the 18xx kind of system, what I, I would really encourage you to do is just pause right here, leave Jimmy and I behind for a bit, and go back to uh, the longviewpodcast.com and look in the archives there and listen to the 18xx episode. This is an episode that I recorded with uh, Eric Brocious and Joe Huber. And I think uh, I'm, I'm very proud of that. Um, not really because of what I did, but because I was able to offer that to people. Because Joe and Eric are just fantastic ambassadors for 18xx. And they did such a wonderful job of explaining the genre as a whole. And then giving some specifics about the different types of games. And, and briefly touching on many of them that... If you're kind of unfamiliar with 18xx, go listen to that first and then come back here and Jimmy and I will be waiting for you. So, uh, Jimmy, I understand that you had the chance to kind of play test this game and uh, work with it even before it was published. Um, For me... My experience with the game was uh, it really started at the WBC last year. I was kind of wandering through the dealer room, and sitting there at the GMT table, I saw this enormous box, and it said 18OE on the side, and it had the beautiful cover kind of illustration of this train, you know, locomotive coming at you at all these beautiful colors. I thought, ooh, you know, oh, railways on the Orient Express. And I thought, I love the Orient Express. I've read so many mystery novels and things about the Orient Express. I thought, oh, this would be cool. And I, I picked up the box, and I almost dropped it, <laughs> okay? <laughs> because I really wasn't expecting it to weigh a metric ton, but it did. And, th- you know, that immediately fired the geek in me. I mean, there, there's a certain part of me, Jimmy, I don't know about you, but, like, when I pick up a box and it's really heavy, I just kind of almost get, like, that Homer Simpson, like, oh, donuts. <laughs> you know, I kind of get, get that feeling, like, I, I want to know what's in there. And so I'm looking at it, and I'm seeing the illustration on the back of some of the components. I'm like, wow, this game looks fantastic. So uh, fast forward, and I I sent uh, Mark Frazier, uh, the publisher of um, uh, Dice is the name of the company, Designs and Creative Entertainment, I believe it is. And I asked him, I said, hey, you know, would you be willing to send a review copy to me? And he was nice enough. You know, he wrote back. He said, you know, people don't usually ask for, you know, a review copy of something like this. But, uh, you know, he, he said, sure, you know, I'd be happy to. And so he sent it to me. And he said, take as much time as you need to try to wrap your mind around it. Uh, because, you know, I was very upfront about the fact that I didn't have a ton of 18xx experience. Um, I had played games like 1830, uh, 1860. Uh, 1846, I believe it was, with Eric Brocious. He taught me that at the WBC. A fantastic teacher. And so, you know, I was like, sure, you know. Uh, so after school let out this year, I had the chance, and I, my buddy Lloyd and I were like, all right, listen, we're going to spend like 
four days on this game. <laughs> and so we set it up on the on the gaming table downstairs, and uh, I tweeted some pictures of it and, and whatnot, and uh, we tackled it. And it was a very, very interesting experience. So that's kind of my background a little bit. Um, Jimmy, could you perhaps share a little bit about your kind of 18xx background or credentials or whatever it is you want to call them, uh, what your experience is with, with these kinds of games, just so that people have an understanding of where you're coming from. Yeah. Well, it, it's funny. So my first experience, um, which I think is probably common to, to a lot of XXers, was 1830. Um, it was maybe five or six years ago um, at a gaming retreat, and there were four of us. One had played it a bunch years before, but hadn't played in maybe five or ten years. And the other three of us were complete newbies. Um, and so that the guy who you know, sort of knew what he was doing taught it. <laughs> but but it, it had been so long that, that when the three of us just, just played horribly, he, he wasn't able to, to push the game along. So about six hours into it, we were probably about a, a third of the way th- through it. And, and we just called. We said, oh, okay. <laughs> Had enough. No, no. Some of the things we don't want to do next time, but but we'll we'll, we'll stop here. Um, what's funny is that after that introduction, it, it still fascinated me, and so I, I went home, um, picked up Steam Over Holland, uh, played that a few times, uh, got bit by the bug, went to the Chattanooga Railway Gaming Challenge. Um, Ooh, I've heard great things about that. Absolutely amazing. Um, and, and it's funny because you go there and all of a sudden you hear all these negatives about XXers, but you go there and just about everybody is so nice and so helpful. And um, I've only had really positive experiences there. Um, and yeah, got got bit by that bug, started playing 46, Mexico, EU, uh, the, the, the list goes on and on. Um, and since I was able to pick up a couple games at uh, Chattanooga and started playing XX Weekly with a group I have in Dayton, which is usually just the three of us, and we've been playing three or four years now. Um, I still go to Chattanooga each year. I've played it at Origins and Gen Con um, at the Columbus Area Board Gaming Society. The, there's a Columbus group. That I get to at least a few times a year, not nearly as often as I'd like. Um, it's funny when I, I look at, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm a BGG geek and log all my plays. And within my top 10, I've got at least three or four XX games. So uh, I've definitely been bitten by the bug. So it's a genre that clearly resonates with you and, and something that uh, is fascinating. And I would have to agree because, you know, what has kept me coming back to some of these titles is it, it, they're the kind of games that you play that as soon as you're done, you're kind of doing like an instant replay in your mind. And you're thinking about, you know, Ooh, well, what, if I, what if I had done this? Or, oh, you know, I, I responded this way when Tom, you know, laid this track here. But what if I had countered with this instead? Or, you know, maybe I should have invested in these shares at this time instead of that. And so there's all of this um, post kind of game thought process that goes on. And, you know, it's the kind of game that, you know, kind of like Dominant Species, I kind of find myself, sometimes I even dream about it, <laughs> where, 
you know, I've had this great game and I'm sitting there thinking and obviously my brain's working on it while I'm asleep. And so it's it's one of those kind of games. I think that's why people kind of uh, have a tendency to think of 18xx games almost as lifestyle games like chess or Go or something like that. Because there's so much variety in the games that are out there and so much to explore that it really is kind of almost limitless in, in the uh, amount of kind of experiences you can have. And so, you know, that's kind of what's drawn me to the genre. But, you know, there is a little bit of an intimidation factor there. And with, for 18OE, that intimidation factor <laughs> is just the sheer scope and size and weight of this game. Um, so, you know, I, I was really kind of curious to try it. And so uh, we kind of set up uh, the game... Uh, we, we've played a few times on the scenario of uh, England and France. That was kind of the one that I picked. Uh, I picked that one because I only had to use one of the map boards. We can talk a little bit about that later. Um, and also because, you know, I kind of have some affinity for those two countries. I've been there. You know, I recognize some of the places, etc. And so I thought, oh, you know, this will be fun. Uh, little did I know that those were uh, that, that's one of the more complicated scenarios of the short scenarios to play because of uh, the, there's a lot of uh, uh, opportunity to move almost by water and through water uh, in 18OE. And that was something that took a, a little bit of time to kind of wrap my mind around. So uh, Mark Frazier, who was kind enough to make himself available to me, you know, say, hey, you know, text me if you have any questions or what have you, and I'll try to help you out. And, you know, he's like, yeah, that's why I told you you should do like the Russia, Austria, you know, uh, uh, kind of map first and and not this one. Um but I was like, whoops, you know, uh, we're, we're in it and <laughs> yeah. we're having fun. So we're going to keep plowing away. And uh, so I, I want to, you know, thank him for his help. Um, so what really uh, kind of struck me about this game is that the game is kind of, it, it's this massive thing to start. There's, there's all of these rail companies. So you have, um, you know, sort of an initial auction for your privates and miners and then, you're you're going to have the ability to float um, some regional rails, and then those regionals can later turn into majors and can begin to absorb other kind of uh, uh, holdings that you have. So they could absorb some of the miners. Um, and, you know, when they absorb the miners, they kind of get any sort of special abilities, if you want to think of it that way, that the miner might possess. Or uh, you can turn them into nationals. And so there's this really interesting progression about how the story unfolds in the game. And this is an 18xx game that I really felt kind of did deliver like a story because you start with these tiny little railroads and they're they're making their little pathetic runs between these two cities and they're like all happy with themselves and they're making you like, you know, $40 and then you like take your share of that and once you calculate it's like, wow, I made $17. Woohoo, you know. And you're kind of feeling like, wow, this is this is taking a while to get going. But then before you know it, uh, the game begins to ramp up. And once those three trains come out, um, you know, and, and, and the majors start to float and you start to have some consolidation, then all of a sudden the game really kind of picks up momentum uh, for a lot of reasons that we'll discuss later. 
And, you know, what I found was that the, the game actually, while it was a slow build, it kind of had a fast end for us when we played it. And it was really enjoyable and somewhat surprising. You know, I, I'm used to 18xx games kind of dragging a little bit towards the end or getting to a point, Jimmy, where it's almost like, let's just do the math. You know, like no one's going to add any more track. No one's going to do anything. We're just going to play out these last few operation rounds and see what happens. And 18OE did not seem to have that um you know in in my plays and my limited experience and so there were so many interesting things to think about you know the 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 progression of the companies the different trains you can buy you know you can buy a three train or a three plus three or a four train or a four plus four you know and and you know that's going to allow you to not just go to cities but also little towns to scoop up a little extra income uh the whole notion of track rights in this game where you know, you can only build track in certain companies until the first major kind of absorbs a, uh, you know, another rail, another rail company, a miner that has track rights in a, in a foreign country. And then kind of like anything goes at that point. It's like an, it's like a release the Kraken kind of moment. And then everybody can start to snake around and, and build track. I, I found that really interesting. The, uh, Orient Express runs. I, I thought that was a neat little touch. You know, uh, the 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 first time that you can make those connections, you get some nice bonuses and uh, to your income and possibly your stock and whatnot. So there's a lot of things that were really compelling to me about this title. And even though it was really difficult, I got to tell you, like my first play, Jimmy Lloyd and I, it took us probably nine hours. It was it was brutal, but that was nine hours not of frustration, but of like just trying to figure out how everything works and consulting player aids and the rule book and, and double checking things, making sure we are playing them right, sending a text to Mark every now and then saying, are we doing this correctly? Something like that. Um, but we weren't ever like frustrated with the game and, and we were intrigued with it. And then of course the future plays went more smoothly and was more fun and more of the strategy kind of opened up for us. So that's kind of, you know, to me, my initial impressions of the game were one of a lot of really interesting decisions, uh, a definite kind of a narrative arc, uh, a lot of really cool track building and blocking and, and kind of hosing your opponent, and uh, a really interesting kind of dynamic between you know the, the, the kind of beginning of the minors and regionals and then the majors and uh, being able to kind of hopscotch across the board with this water movement and all this cool stuff. So those are kind of my impressions uh, of 18OE. Now, what I was going to ask you, rather than me just kind of you know doing a review and saying, this is, what's, this is what I like about it, this is what's cool about it. I wanted to talk with someone like you who has much more experience and ask if you can maybe describe for people out there who are familiar with this style of game, what are the things about 18OE that kind of make it different or unique um, in your mind? Well, I, the, the first thing uh, that this isn't unique, but most XX games fall into one of two categories. They're, they're games geared either for the engineers or the accountants. So either for those people, <laughs> those people that love laying track and love running good railroads, or for those people that are more interested in uh, financial manipulations. Um, 18OE falls squarely in the first category. It is a game where you, you're trying to create big routes, um, get your tokens down, run for lots of cash, and increase your stock value. It is a two-dimensional 
uh, stock market, but I don't find it to be particularly uh, volatile. And then a l- possibly a little bit of dumping uh, to try and change uh, operating order for the, the major companies. After that, the, the thing that I think is unique to OE, um, if there's another game that has it, I'm, I'm not familiar with it, is that all the companies start at the beginning of the game. So that there's this really huge initial auction. But right after that, um, all of the regional railroads go up for sale. And until every regional railroad has been started, nobody is allowed to buy a share of any regional railroad other than the president's share. So it's possible for that to take more than one stock round, but nobody is growing up, nobody is merging, none of that until every railroad has started. And Right, right. That, I, I think, is unique to OE, and, and it, it's, it's an interesting difference. So you, you're never wondering later on, well, should I start a railroad or should I buy stock? Well, your only option is to buy stock later on. Yeah, and that's interesting. It also leads to uh, you know, a little bit of uh, a feeling of being overwhelmed. I know I did. I mean, you know, because uh, if you're playing, say, like we were a two-player game, I think we were each running, like when you looked at – uh, I'm not talking about the privates. I'm talking about the regionals and the uh, miners. I think each of us was running like five companies or something. It was it was insane. Um, and, and you know, there, there's the little tokens that keep track of operating kind of order uh, on the back of the track, and it's this this huge conga line of letters, <laughs> and it's like, wow, this is really this is kind of overwhelming because you're you're trying to kind of plan and think about like you know what is going to be best for this railroad to do right now? And, and I have to kind of try and keep five sort of plans mm-hmm. in my head. Yes. And all the while you're trying to peer into the future and saying, okay, who is like, who do I want to join up later? You know, who, who do I want to combine with? Um, you know, who has really good station position right now? Because if I've got, you know, a, a, a miner that has two really crucial stations out on the map, you know, I, I want to think about later trying to absorb them into uh, one of my majors because I'm going to be able to replace those station tokens with the, the major station tokens. And not only am I going to be able to do that, Jimmy, I'm going to be able to take the station tokens from the most expensive part of the board and just plop them down. It's like, wow, that's awesome. And so you're, you're, you're thinking short term maximize your profit, pathetic though it might be, and then you're thinking long-term, which is, you know, who who's going to team up here? Who's who's going to, you know, uh, join up and give me the best chance? And it, it's a lot to think about. It can be a little overwhelming. Now, that's for someone like me and, and Lloyd, who, who don't have a ton of 18xx experience. Did you find that to be overwhelming as well, or was that just fun for you? Yeah, I, I, I'd say more more fun and overwhelming, but, but yeah. I mean, but by the time you exit that initial stock round, you've more or less got your strategy for the game. You know, and, and you know that the miners are cool for all their special powers, but mm-hmm. that the, yeah. the biggest thing about the miners is where am I starting it? Because you can start in in any city, and where am I placing its second token? Because as you say, when you merge that with uh, a, a regional, which becomes a major. Um, you get those token spots, and, and, and that's huge. So, 
Yeah, but by the time you exit it, and if you're playing with the concessions, um, that, that's, a, <laughs> that's a huge, huge thing in the initial stock round because it's possible, even in a, in a, a two-player, for one player to get four stock actions before the other player gets his first, um, which you know, can, can decide the game right there. Um, so yeah, the, 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 the beginning, it, it is a very front-loaded game. Um, I, I, I know you, you said it, it's a slow build, and, and and it is from a you know laying track and running routes, but God, that initial stock round doesn't make it feel like a slow build at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, I think we agree that that that's a really interesting thing, and 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 I wasn't aware that you know this is unique uh, to eighteen OE. Are there other factors that you feel are are unique in the game as well? Yeah, that the second thing that's really big in OE um, that I've never seen implemented the same way is this concept of nationalization. So what's common to most XX games is that you start out with small trains, and as the game progresses, you get bigger trains. As bigger trains come out, the smaller trains rust or, or become obsolete. So when the first four train comes out, the two trains go away. When the first six train comes out, the three trains go away. And when the first level eight train goes out, the four trains go away. At each of those points, the president of, of the company, the major companies, has the option to nationalize. If they nationalize, they, they lose all of their revenue. Um, but now for the remainder of the game, they can get obsolete trains from the pool for no cost. And so all of a sudden, there, there's not this, this huge issue, which is common to most XX games, of, oh my God, my trains are about to rust. What am I going to do? Um, which, right, make, right. Which, which makes it a, a, a whole lot more new, newbie-friendly. Um, and, and also creates a whole lot of interesting decisions. Um, late game, the major railroads will run for more than the nationals, but early to mid game, the nationals can run for significantly more. And so, you know, that that affects what do I want my stock portfolio to look like when I purchase regionals at the very beginning of the game? Do I want to get multiple regionals in the same country so that I can nationalize one and leverage it? Um, yeah, that, that those national railroads add a whole lot of questions. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I totally uh, uh, agree with what you're saying. It took me a little while, though, to understand the value of national rails. Like, I kind of, you know, because I, I know in other 18xx games, um, letting your trains rust, letting that happen to you, and, you know, it's kind of like it's it's a failure, you know, and at that point, you're, you're often looking at taking a huge hit to your personal finances, because in some games, you know, the president then has to buy out of his own cash uh, a train for that railroad. Uh, and in others, you know, the, the rail the railroad just might end up going bankrupt. And, and you know, you, you could uh, be facing that, you know, insolvency. Uh, in this game, you know, I kind of looked at nationalization as a failure. Like I was just like, oh, you know, nationalization is a safety net that, uh, you know, Ed put in there, you know, to to help cushion my fall when I, you know, play poorly. And then after playing it, uh, you know, a, a couple of times, I was like, wait a minute. You know, as you said, a national can actually do better for you than, you know, one of your regionals. And I'm like, oh, you know, and, and even it can do better than, than your majors early on. 
And I was like, okay, so this this actually could be a totally valid strategy. Like, I don't want to nationalize everything, but as you said, you know, you want to pick and choose and you can find a railroad that's like prime um, for nationalization. And then you don't, you're, you know, you're not sitting there sweating and worrying about, am I going to have enough money um, to get the, the train that I need when this one rusts? Um, oh, and while we're talking about that, I just also want to spe- uh, send us a little shout out there. Love the fact that written right on the train card, it tells you when they rust. That's just fantastic. Um, so anyway, um, that, that's just a little side note, but, um, I really didn't understand the value of nationals until I would played it a couple of times. And I agree with you. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating kind of a thing because you're looking at usually a huge short-term gain, but maybe a long-term loss, but it might not, you know, work out as, as a loss at all, you know, depending on how you play it. And, you know, I, I don't have the expertise yet to really time that correctly. I think a lot of that has to do with timing. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah. So, so early game, the Nationals are good. Late game, they're not. Um, so if you're going to nationalize in general, you'd like to nationalize when the four, four trains come out. Um, at the same time, if you can delay nationalizing until you've managed to do your OE run, then... Your company has got uh, the first time you do an OE run, which is going somewhere uh, from the east side of the board to the west side of the board, or from the north to the south. It depends on the the scenario. Um, you either get whatever revenue you generated from that OE run into the company, or the company gets three stock jumps, and that can be pretty big later on. So if you can avoid nationalizing until after you do your OE run, that company will be, certainly from a stock position, will be as good as anything else, particularly since once you nationalize, you always pay, so you always move up. Um, it'll be competitive from a stock value for the entire game. It won't be competitive from a revenue generation because it'll be restricted right. to it. it's one country. Um, but. And it'll probably be be running smaller trains. But if you manage your stock portfolio so you're not too heavily invested in your national, you can use that national to avoid being train locked in your other companies because the the national basically uses government money to buy trains. So it's always possible to to purchase trains out of your other companies so that your your major companies can uh, buy bigger trains and you know, can can push the game forward if uh, if your right. opponent doesn't want it to. Um, and that also is taking money out of the bank, right? So that's directly, right. so that's, right. that's going to also possibly accelerate the ending of the game. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, potentially, yeah. So that's a whole other interesting kind of a um, twist on what I've seen from other 18xx games is is the way nationalization is kind of handled here. And I appreciate you taking the time to kind of explain those key differences, uh, especially that little detail about wait until the company has done its OE run, which you know, I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, duh, why didn't I understand that? Why didn't I see that? Um, and that's an excellent point because, of course, you know, you want your stock value to be as, as absolutely high as you can get it. And, you know, since you're not really, uh, you know, often going to need, you know, money when you nationalize uh, because of how you acquire trains, uh, that is, uh, you might need it for terrain costs for laying track and whatnot. But, um, you know, you, you, you really, uh, that stock bump is hugely important. Yes. Right. Uh, and once you nationalize, you do not pay for terrain 
So, so right. as soon as a company is nationalized, it loses its um, its cash, but it never needs it again. And so exactly. any, anytime it would need it, it uses government money, i.e. the bank. Um, right. It, it does lose all of its tokens, which which can be an issue. But again, before you nationalize, it's possible to sell tokens between companies and uh, yet, yet another way to game the system. Right, exactly. You know, while we're talking about this whole idea of, uh, you know, nationalizing and, and looking at uh, how you're going to spread out across the board, make your Orient Express run, one of the other things that I know, uh, you know, you had talked with me about pre-production before we started recording was your kind of uh, thoughts about how tile laying, how track laying works in this game. Um, you know, it, can you tell us a little bit about what makes this unique in 18OE? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it is unique. Uh, I've not seen it. Well, I don't know that it's unique, but I, I haven't seen it in any other games. I think it may be in C to C. Um, but the way it works is that companies have track points that they can spend. So your minor companies, your regional companies have three track points, your majors have six, and your nationals have nine. Um, and so... If you're laying yellow tracks, or the most basic track, that costs one track point. If you're laying metropolises, which are the biggest cities in the game and worth the most, that costs two track points. And in upgrading, that stuff doubles. So upgrading yellow to green, green to brown, brown to gray costs two track points. And upgrading metropolises costs four. So... When a national has the opportunity to lay track, it is possible for it to lay nine track at a single OR. If you've had any experience with 1830, you're laying a single track each time. Right, right. Pretty much any other game where you're laying at most two, being able to to lay track literally across Russia um, in a single OR is just mind-boggling. You know, and it also opens up what I thought were some really interesting opportunities for just really mean play. (laughs) I don't know how many times I just completely blocked Lloyd from Paris. It was almost like I threw my arm around and I was like, "Uh, uh, uh," like every time he tried to kind of sneak in, every time he tried to kind of build around to find another way into Paris, I just totally (laughs) blocked him. Um, And, you know, he had to wait to get into Paris until we could upgrade track. And because of the order of operations, I was able to kind of um, upgrade the track first, which then allowed me to lay track, which then prohibited him from getting into Paris again, um, you know, until he ended up upgrading another piece. And so, you know, every round that I'm able to delay my opponent from reaching one of these larger valued regions on the board, you know, these cities, these... um, uh, metropolises and and what's the other term? Uh, not big city. Um, grand cities. Grand cities. Yes, thank you. Um, every time I can stop someone from getting to those, every operation round I can delay them is almost like money in my bank and money away from them because uh, you know that that's just improving my revenue, improving my flexibility for the future, and prohibiting you know his and inhibiting his. So. I was really kind of surprised because, as you said, 
you know, the games that I've played, a lot of these 18xx games are on these kind of small maps, and they're very tight. And, you know, you really shouldn't, I don't think, be able to lay one or two tracks max. But because the scope of this game is so huge, as you said, you're able to make these big runs. You know, because I got to tell you, even three tracks with mm -hmm. a, you know, minor or, a, you know, a, a little regional is still can be devastating. Oh, sure. And so it, it's a really, really uh, interesting and very cutthroat, like, there's a lot about 18OE that I feel is kind of like flexible and open. There's a lot of options. Um, bankruptcy or insolvency doesn't seem to happen real often. There's always usually something you can do to wiggle out, right? But this is the part of the game that just is, you know, punch each other in the face kind of uh, uh, fun of the game, if you find that kind of confrontation fun, and I certainly do. So um, are there any thoughts you have, uh, you know, about this kind of, is this where really the competition of the game lies, or is it still in that stock market? No, no, no you're absolutely right. The, the, this is, uh, the, in general, the stock market, uh, I would call kinder, gentler, um, that the track laying is the exact opposite. That that that's the nastiness. And if you play it with Mark or Edge, you you really get to see that nastiness, um, both with the track laying and with placing of tokens. So that there's right. there's this push pull um, when you start the game that you'd like to keep your companies small as regionals because you can own 100% of the regionals and you get all the cash, but the regionals only have two tokens. As soon as you grow up to a major, now you've got another six. And I'll tell you what, if I grow up first and I get to place all my tokens while you're still a regional, you're going to have a bad day. Um, so it's, <laughs> the, there's this huge push-pull. Um, you were talking earlier about you know, the, the pay-me-now-pay-me-later sort of questions uh, as far as growing right. up. Um, and I guess that's – so there, there are two things that are – Two more things that are, are different with OE. Um, one concerns the city. So, as we were saying, it there are towns, um, there are regular cities or grand cities, and then there are metropolises. The regular right. cities start the game with a single hole, so space for one token, and that never increases. So, so from the beginning of the game, you've got these choke points. Um, the grand cities go from one to two, but then they stop at two. And then the, the metropolises go up to either three or four as you get into the some, – some places into the green, but certainly into the brown and the gray tiles. Um, right. What makes those choke points – so with nine track points or six track points, it's often possible to go around those cities. You know, that, that's possibly lost revenue, but that may or may not be a, a huge deal. Um, it is – usually additional terrain costs, which is irritating. Um, but <laughs> yes. the, the biggest deal with it, though, is that the thing we had talked a little bit about earlier, which is the water movement. So ah, yes. OE is different in that, that there is this, and it, it's very abstracted, but this concept of traveling across water. In order to do that, you've got to enter and exit via ports, most of the ports are cities. In fact, most of the ports are regular cities. There are a couple of grand cities and, and at least one metropolis, um, two metropolises. Um, but if you can block those out from the other player, then you make it very difficult for them to move via water movement. 
And yeah, so so blocking those early, getting your tokens in those spots, starting your miners in those spots is huge. Yeah, you know, uh, the the token position is really cutthroat, as you said, and and I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, and one of the interesting balancing things about this that, that I really enjoyed is, is, you know, when you kind of turn that regional um, into the major and you get all of those station tokens, right, mm-hmm. you then are basically floating that company and you're going to basically move your uh, par value marker um, and, and then you're going to kind of bump it up to the appropriate spot, the entry spot on the stock market. And what I found really interesting, you know, because as you said, if you let, you know, some majors get a lot of tokens out quickly, you can have a really bad day. But what I liked was the fact that in the turn order, the majors are going after the regionals, any regionals or minors that are left. So it's almost like it gives the players, if you didn't see that coming, it gives you a little bit of time to try to react to it and adjust to it before you know, the major starts kind of plopping down tokens in, in locations that are going to make life difficult for you. Um, because, you know, those ports and those other choke points um, can really sort of hem a railroad in. You know, I had one of uh, Lloyd's hemmed in in uh, the southwest corner of France, and he's kind of pinned up against Madrid. And, and so he could kind of go to that distant city, but there really wasn't anywhere else he could go, you know. Um, but the game then offers you opportunities, you know, of course, when you merge, then you can kind of hopscotch. You can kind of, you know, replace a, a, a small kind of hemmed-in company's tokens mm-hmm. with uh, the, the token of the, the company that absorbed them. And then you now have new opportunities to lay track. And so, you know, I find that you can hem people in. It's like you can hold them down, but eventually they're going to wiggle free. And I like that kind of aspect. You know, they... I think in the in the wiggling and the time it takes, they're probably, you know, not they might not win the game, but they're still gonna be in the game. And and I like that because, you know, there's a phrase that someone used, I forget who it was, uh, I thought it was brilliant. There's this idea of, you know, well, we like modern games because there's no player elimination. You know, there actually can be elimination in some 18x titles if you go completely bankrupt. Mm-hmm. But there, there is certainly that idea, you know, the person said, hey, there may be no player elimination, but there is player irrelevance. And I think it might have been uh, Kurt Runco, who's a, a guy, Enzo622 on BoardGameGeek. And I think he might have been the one that said that. And I remember that really resonated with me because, like, no one likes to feel irrelevant. And in some 18xx games, you can kind of get, you know, under the wheel and you're like, all right, I'm going to be able to survive. I'm going to be able to continue to play, but I have no shot here. And so, you know, that can kind of become a frustrating or painful experience. But 18OE seems to offer, maybe just because of the sheer scope of the game, maybe because of some of these these things we're talking about, but it, it seems like there's possibilities to come back and be competitive. Like, you might not win, but you're going to be competitive. And that's something that I really enjoyed about it. Now, that could be because we're not very good at the game. <laughs> so I want to know if that, if you found that to be true as well or whether we're just not quite cutthroat enough or, or knowledgeable enough to completely hose somebody. What, what do you think? No, I, I think the the more experience you get, the more ways you, you figure, figure to wriggle out of things. Um, 
especially if you're able to to see what's coming and plan ahead for it. So, you know, for instance, if you see yourself getting hemmed in, in general, you only nationalize when the four, six, and the eight trains break. You are able to nationalize at other trains at other times if you don't have a train and you don't have money right. in your company to to purchase a train. Um, it's a little less desirable, but if you can maneuver that, because all of a sudden you're going to be irrelevant for a couple of ORs, um, that, that can be a, a big thing and it can take people by surprise. Um, yeah, uh, that, that's just one off the top of my head. Um, the other thing I, I found playing two-player, in general, it is really good um, to have control of the same number of companies. So by the time yes. you get to the, the major phase, in theory, in a two-player game, both of you should have three companies. Um, I've played w- with my partner where I think I had four to her two. Um, we may have been playing a smaller scenario where I had three to her one. Um, and she won because she owned 100% of her one company and she was able to you know, put the maxes the stock value of it while I was busy trying to get trains for all of mine. So I, what I find is, is that there, there's no no-brainer decision in, in OE. Mm. Um, you, know, you talked about the two different types of trains earlier. In general, um, you always want a plus train rather than a, a regular train. But if the choice is to get a, a plus train next OR or get a regular train this OR, you know, I'm not so sure which one is better. And can I you know, create a run at where I'm hitting high cities, um, you know, possibly by doing water and, and going from, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but New York to London to whatever the grand city is um, in the northeast part of, of the U.K., um, uh, it might ca- be Birmingham or or something like that. It might, yeah. Birmingham yeah. certainly would be another yeah. one. Um, you know, uh, yep. It'd be nice to have a three plus three, but I can use a three and I can use it now. Uh, that may not be so bad. Um, you know, purchasing port authorities and, and um, Pullman cars is yet another decision point, and that's just something I found with this game is that that Ed has created so many different decisions um yeah keep it real interesting yeah absolutely and you know you mentioned those port authority tokens you know and the whole notion of kind of water movement was a little was a little kind of foreign to me when i started playing the game i'm like wait a minute you're telling me i'm running a train from new york to dublin to you know birmingham to london it's like you know really you know that that doesn't really make sense but you know when i i looked at one of the minor companies you know it's a steamship company it's a steamship and transportation company it's like and and that really kind of helped me you know that the historic nature of some of these companies i'm like oh yeah you know i mean transportation back in those days you know uh, not only cargo, of course, you know, moving by boat and then by rail, but then, you know, you also had people who were coming across on cruise liners. You know, you, you cross the pond on, you know, a beautiful cruise ship, and then you went into a port in Ireland, and then you hopped a train, and, you know, uh, you, 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 you know, crossed uh, the channel on a ferry, and then you hopped another train, and you went all the way to, you know, Constantinople. I mean, this is, there's this kind of um, 
this combination transportation thing, which I, I really enjoyed once I understood it. And I think that while the water movement can seem very complex to a new player like me, what I found really interesting was, you know, once I kind of grokked the system and understood, you know, that these different sea zones have printed right there on the map for you, you know, minus one, minus one, minus one. You're like, oh, you know, what does that mean? And then you come to understand that, you know, uh, each of those minus ones that you're not able to mitigate either through a port that you own or have access to or through a port authority token, um, you're going to kind of suffer a penalty. So if you have to cross uh, two minus one C spaces in order to uh, make a run and you have a four train, well, guess what? You're only really doing New York to London because you lost the other two um, sort of uh, length of your your run or you know your your capacity, however you want to think of it, in that sea crossing, right? But if you get a um, you know a, a port authority token, that gives you a minus two, um, and you can apply you know a minus one to this region. You can have a, a port there. Maybe you got a private port, and that eliminates that sea region. Before you know it, you're actually making these really nice, long, complicated routes full of all these juicy cities and generating a lot of income. And so I really kind of enjoyed that because it opened up a whole nother facet. Uh, to the game, you know, I've seen ferries and stuff before, but not this kind of sea movement. I found that really, uh, really interesting. Is that also something kind of unique to 18OE, or have you seen that in other games now, like this? That I've never seen before, and to, you know, it, it is very abstracted. Um, and I think for the most part, it, it's m more sizzle than substance, but. <laughs> it does. It, it does create some interesting decisions. So, you know, going from New York to London, New York in gray is a hundred and sixty dollars city, which is more than any other city on the map. And so, right. Um, in general, people want to come down to Constantinople to get their OE runs. However, if you're able to hit, you know, New York is a hundred and sixty dollars city. London is a hundred and twenty dollars city, and Berlin is another hundred and twenty dollars city. Okay, you've lost your OE run, but you're hitting the three of the biggest cities on the board. Maybe you don't care so much, and and so there, you know that the, and I think Ed did a great job with abstracting it and making it as simple as possible, um, so that it it's not too kludgy and it does add even more decision points and certainly from a, a tokening and, and track placement perspective, more oh, yeah. more ways to block people out. Right. Right. Yeah, and you know there is that kind of uh, push and pull, and, and and this is not the first time that you've used the phrase, you know, decision points, and um, you know I've used the term decision tree, and and there are a ton of decisions in this game. I mean, you know, I often uh, you know will upgrade track uh, for no other reason than to gain extra income. Um, there is all this interesting income inflation in the game. You know, at the beginning. You know, you're struggling to make, you know, $18. And, you know, later on, you're making these runs that are like $150, $180 in a run. And then, geez, if you get some of those uh, D trains, you know, that double the value of a route, you're like, holy moly, you know. Uh, so you, you get this really nice, rewarding 
experience of progression, you know, like, and, and you, you almost have like a pride in it. You know, it's, it's like, I took this from this tiny little railroad <laughs> running between these two cities and look at what it's become, you know, and yep. then you kind of harumph and, you know, light a cigar or something, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a really interesting kind of a phenomenon. And, you know, you only get it with games, I think, that are of this scope, um, somewhat of this length, and also where you have so many options and decisions you know, you, you can bog down in it. You know, I, I know you and I talked before about, you know, uh, somebody who will go through these painstaking calculations to find one extra dollar. And, and you know, I, I remember talking with Joe and Eric and they're like, you know, boy, you, you really don't want to play that way if you can help it. Because, you know, in the amount of time that you spend trying to seek the extra dollar, you know, the game might have been over and you could have set up and played again, you know, um, when you add all that time together that people might take. But of course, that's an individual player style preference sort of a thing. But I really enjoyed the ability to change that track, upgrade the city, lay a new route to make an even better connection to increase my options, plop a token down. And suddenly, you know, the face of Northern France has changed, you know, <laughs> in, in one operating round. And it's, it's just a, a stunning kind of a turn of events. And I really enjoy the decision space in this game. Uh, do, do you enjoy that as well? Do you think this has it more or the same? Or how would you rate the sort of uh, overall decision space in this game as opposed to others? Um, I, I guess it's a it's a tough one to answer. So that there were that's why I asked you, yeah. Jimmy. That <laughs> <laughs> there are a ton of XX games out there, and uh, I'm always trying to to pare down it and reduce my collection with with mixed results. Um, but but I have managed to to cut down a lot of my XX games, and so each of my XX games does different things and have diff has different types of decision points. Um, 1830 is all about the stock market. And so th there are a lot of interesting decisions as far as, you know, am I going to pay out, move up, move back? Um, where am I parring stuff? Um, uh, who's going to get the priority next? What do I need to worry about? 1817 is, um, in my opinion, got more decision points than any other XX game. Um, wow, okay. Yeah, I, I've played 17, I think 25 times now, and I still have no clue what I'm doing. Um, wow, I've never had the chance to play that one. So uh, that, that, if I see a Gen Con or something, we'll have to try it out maybe. That'd be cool. It, it is mind-boggling. <laughs> um, that one is all about financial manipulation, um, merging companies, growing companies, acquiring companies, shorting companies. Um, right. OE is about laying track. OE is about buying trains and using them effectively. Um, it does have some other decision points. Um, you know, we talked earlier about the OE runs and do you take the cash or do you take the stock bump? Um, there's certainly a, a pacing point as far as, you know, do I want the game to run out? Or do I want it to go an extra couple of ORs so I can catch leaders and cause leaders to bump their heads? Um, so from a, an engineering perspective, I would say OE has as many decision points as any other engineering game. And from a, an accounting perspective, it has much fewer. Right, right. 
And you said that most games, you know, tend to kind of favor one or the other. Yes. Right. Yes, absolutely. Right. You know, the other thing that I wanted to talk about um, as it relates to this game is the fact that I spent a lot of time looking for an 18xx game that would play well with two players. And one of the reasons I bought 1860, Railways Mm -hmm. on the Isle of Wight, is that people said, oh, that's a really good one for two players. And I got to tell you... Uh, OE, I thought it played very well with two. I didn't have any problems playing the short scenario with two at all. I I, I found it very enjoyable. Uh, how would you rate this game as a two-player experience? It is my favorite two-player game. Um, I, I've played 60 probably about four or five times as a two-player. And actually, one of the reasons that I stopped playing 60 is as a two-player, it just it didn't have enough interesting decisions. Um, 62 is another one that that's well regarded as a two player and that I got rid of my copy of it that that probably is a very good two player game as well um in general from playing a a two player game and you lose the um, the shared incentive that the the you know both of us have shares in a company and so we want that company to do well and this other guy doesn't right. and so you lose that and so in my opinion, um, two-player XX games succeed if they're mostly engineering games and not financial games. Uh, and so you know, for that reason, I think OE does really, really well. Well, it's good to hear because, you know, I wasn't sure if that was just me and, and maybe I, I just didn't uh, have enough experience with it yet to, to find some sort of hole or something. Um, um, the, but, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And yeah. I, I think that the... Uh, you know, the decision space and everything and, and all of the railroads you're trying to kind of manage and then steer towards consolidation uh, really just kind of makes the game uh, incredibly interesting. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, buying into each other's stock, um, you know, eventually, especially, uh, you know, as the majors and, mm-hmm. you know, you see a, a company doing really, really um, well, then, you know, you, you can start kind of investing in that. And as you said, kind of getting that mutual sort of benefit going on there, um, you know, and, and, and leeching off of a really successful railroad. Mm-hmm. So that's something else that I really enjoy. Oh, that there's certainly, even in a two-player, that there's certainly good reasons to purchase somebody else's stock. Um, you know, particularly if you're planning on nationalizing one of your railroads, you don't want a lot of stock in that railroad. And so you, you buy the other guy's uh, stock, especially if it looks like he's committed to keeping it, and you, you'll get that right. stock appreciation. And you know, depending on how it plays out, you may benefit almost as much as he or she does each time. You know, they pay out and they uh, they move up on the stock chart. the The other thing I wanted to say about why I think OE is great as a two player and and a three player is because of the short scenarios. Um, the short scenarios go four to six hours, whereas the, the full, the medium game goes eight to ten, and the full game goes twelve to fourteen, depending on player experience. Um, right. Short scenarios are playable in a night. Um, like I said, we, we we get together each week, and it, it, it's pushing it. But you know, if we if we start at six, we can be done by eleven or twelve. Um, and I feel like it, you get all of the same feel of the game as a short scenario that you do for the full game. I know some people think that the the full game is more epic in scope than the, the short scenarios. I, I personally don't feel feel that way, but you know, opinions vary. 
What's neat, right. what's neat though with the short scenarios is that it, it the game comes with I think eight pre-written short scenarios, and then it's easy to create more. I, I think I've created three of my own. Um, and oh wow! Yeah, there there's even more to be created now because basically each short scenario is two countries. There are I think eight countries on the map, and so you, know, you can do the math. There, there are a whole lot of short scenarios you can create. Which means you don't have to, as you get bored with, you know, UK and France, now I don't have to go out and buy a new $100 XX game. Now, instead of UK, France, I'm doing Spain, Italy, or Italy, Prussia, or Scandinavia, UK. Um, and so it, it's obviously, it's not infinite replayable, but whew, it, it, it sure feels like it sometimes. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty darn close, right? Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm glad that you brought that up because that was something else that struck me about the game. You know, because when I first looked at it at the WBC way back when, when I was impressed by its weight and its beauty um, and, and had my Homer Simpson moment, I, I looked at the price tag. It was like $200. And I'm like, ah, that's a lot of money. I don't really have that much money right now. Ah, and I kind of like regretfully, slowly put it back, kind of kind of patted it <laughs> after I put it back. And, and as I walked away, I looked back and I was like, oh, you know, $200. All right, listen, there's a lot of 18xx games that I've gotten. And, and, and you know, usually the price tag is, is right around $100. You know, it's not unusual to pay $100 for an 18xx game, which is kind of outrageous. But, you know, that's kind of the, the going market. That's kind of it is what it is. They're small print runs. Sometimes they're handmade and, you know, they're expensive. And so I, I've paid $100 for an 18xx game, $89, uh, you know, at Game Surplus to pick up 1860 or, you know, uh, what have you. And, you know, when I look at the $200 price tag now, I kind of almost think of it as a bargain. And, and one of the reasons for that is because of what you just said, which is there's so many short scenarios, me, uh, medium scenarios, the full ridiculous game, um, if you want to do that and just have like a story to tell the grandkids someday. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you've got all of that in one box, you know, because if 18OE was just the full game, then I'm looking at a game that is sitting on my shelf that is like every other convention game that I own. It's like Advanced Civilization. It's like Twilight Imperium 3. Uh, you know, it's, it's the game that I love, but I never can get to the table. And with the short scenarios, you know, after you get the first kind of play or two under your belt, like you said, the, the playtime is very reasonable. And I actually started like, you know, bagging. Like once I was done with the scenario... I kind of got one of the big 20-gallon kind of uh, plastic storage bags and kind of put everything for that specific mm. scenario in mm -hmm. that bag all sorted in sub-baggies. And, you know, we have the baggy disease in, in, in uh, the, the gaming hobby, right? I never met a plastic baggie I didn't like. Um, and so, you know, I, w when I go to play again, I just pull out that one bag. And everything's in there. Everything that I need is in there, you know. And of course, I have separate, you know, containers for my track and whatnot. But, you know, all of my my companies, my tokens, my, uh, you know, my track rights, my um, uh, the bonus cities, uh, all of that kind of stuff is it's all kind of in there for me. And so I can just quickly set it up and start to play. And so, 
it, it actually, I end up feeling like it offers, a, 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 strangely enough, a great value for $200 because there's a lot of game in that box. And, you know, while we're on the subject of value, I, I also want to just kind of throw out there as a general kind of a review sort of a notion, I really... I, this this game, the production value of this game, minus the money, which is ridiculous, but the production value of this game is is ridiculous. The the maps are mounted and gorgeous. You know, they're like GMT kind of thickness. Um, the finish on the maps, it, it's it's beautiful. The readability of the maps is fantastic, uh, even for someone with bad eyes like me. Um, the tokens, the um, the railroad company charters, you know, the cards, they could have just been on paper. They're on this beautiful kind of uh, thick stock. They're double-sided for, you know, the, the regional slash major and then the national. Um, there's spots on the, the uh, company boards for where you put your tokens and what those station tokens are going to cost you. And, you know, if there's a special ability of the company, like a miner, it's written right there on the board for you. Like, everything is fantastic. Um, the, the player aids you had mentioned uh, when I talked with you before about this. Uh, you know, my, my friend Lloyd, who I played this with, uh, Lloyd Keller, um, you know, he said a lot of times these are just charts and things that are in the rule book and you're having to go there. Well, these are separate player aid cards on nice thick stock. They're they're fantastic. Um, I can't really say enough about the production quality of this game. The box. I mean, the box of some of these 18xx games that I've gotten are like terrible, thin cardboard. They warp, they bow, they dish. They. Yep. This thing is like built like a tank. <laughs> um, I think I could use it like you know to jack the car up or you know put the camper up for the winter if I really wanted to, right? Um, I, I and I and I gotta wonder at two hundred dollars. I don't know that these guys really made much money on this game. This this game to me seems almost like it was a labor of love. Like they 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 needed to do this. They wanted to just get this out there into the hands of people like you and into the hands of people like me who are kind of exploring and discovering this because this game as an ambassador for 18xx games from a production standpoint sets the bar really high and and kind of shows that these games can be beautiful as well as uh you know strictly functional um you know there's actual art in this game and and so there's a lot of things about this that i really appreciate what are your impressions of the overall production quality on this am i gushing too much about it or or do you think that's deserved yeah not not at all i I think well and and one thing you'd alluded to earlier is that it is a great ambassador of the the xx genre and the production is one of the reasons that it is. Um, I don't think it's the best game to introduce somebody to XX, but I think it, it's pretty close um, because of a lot of the things we talked about earlier, the, the huge front-loading mm-hmm. to where by the time you get through the first set of ORs, um, you're either out of it and we can reset or... You're gonna have, <clears throat> excuse me. You're gonna have a good game. Um, the the nationalization, w- which decreases the, the issues with uh, trains rusting and, and getting cut caught caught up in the uh, the train rush, and then certainly the production value. I mean, it, this is a game 
when it's set up, um, people are going to come and look. You know, they they oh, may yeah. they may still be intimidated by it, but they'll, oh my god, that's gorgeous. Um, right. I, I, honestly, I, I I can't think of a, another Euro game that I would say has a regular Euro game that has better production value than eighteen oh e. Yeah, I mean it. It really, it really is exceptional, and it's one of the things that I think is is a tremendous, you know, kind of pro uh, for the game. Um, you know, that labor of love. Uh, the other things are are hidden things that I think are truly exceptional. Uh, the rule book. Uh, mm-hmm. I found the rule book to be excellent. I mean, that thing is well indexed. It is very well explained. It gives examples. It gives some nice kind of illustra- uh, 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 illustrations um, to kind of uh, go with your examples from time to time on really tricky stuff. It is has these wonderful little designer notes that kind of tell you why things are the way they are and, and why they're working the way they are. Um, and I really found the rule book. I, you know, you have to understand, this is the first 18xx game that I played without someone holding my hand. Every other 18xx game that I had tried, someone else introduced me to it, taught it to me, walked me through it, guided me through it. And this was the first one that, you know, kind of Lloyd and I said, we're, we're just going to start reading the rule book. We're going to read about the setup. We're going to look at the scenarios. We're going to go. And yeah, it took us a long time, but it didn't take us a long time because the rules are ambiguous. It didn't take us a long time because we couldn't find what we were looking for. It just took us a long time to kind of grok the whole thing um, and how all the systems work together. So uh, I really thought that the rule book was exceptional. What, what would you have to say yeah, about it? Yeah, I'd agree. And I know whenever at a convention Mark teaches the game, prior to that, he strongly recommends people read the rule books. And I know for myself, I did that um, prior to the playtesting. And it, it does. It makes a huge difference. I, I think the rule book is excellent. There, there are some ambiguities. There, there's some edge cases. But in any game of this size, that there are going to be some. And Mark has just been huge on, on the forums for you know when those ambiguities show up to to clarify right. them. Um, the other thing I know you, you you mentioned it, but I can't overemphasize how wonderful those player aids are. Um, that there are a whole bunch of them, but the stuff that people need to know. So, you know, what are the phase changes? Because you, you've basically got three different types or four different types of companies. You've got miners, mm-hmm, regionals, mm-hmm. majors, and nationals. So what are the different train limits? What are the different track points? Um, when do the OE run bonuses change? If I'm laying across water, how much does track cost? How much do tokens cost? And... and there's not just one player aid for that. There are four of them. So you know, on a, a game this size, especially if you're playing the full game, people aren't sitting next to each other and having to pass one player aid among six people gets irritating. Right. But there are four of them, and, and they're all beautifully done. Um, so, yeah, I, I can't say enough. I mean, I think Mark really has created, you know, from a, a publication standpoint, created a... a an amazing, amazing game. Yeah, I, I find that I have to agree with you on that. And, and uh, you know, the, the I always try to kind of, you know, look at, you know, things fairly, you know, the cons of the game. I do have a few uh, of things, you know, that I'm not super fond of about the production, some of which I think, 
you know, could have been done better, and some of which I think just can't be helped. Um, you know, I'm talking example, you know, the, the paper money. I mean, that that's that's just terrible stuff. But I think it's almost an inside joke in 18xx games at this point. You know, people either use a computer or they use poker chips or, you know, that they don't use the paper money. Um, you know, the paper money is is clearly uh, not not my friend. Um you know, another con is is a very small kind of a little nitpick, which is the stickers. Uh, my God, the stickers! Like when you're sticker in this game, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's it takes a while to sticker oh, this yeah. bad boy. Oh, yeah. um, but it, it's worth it. I mean, it mm-hmm. looks beautiful when it's done, and you can read them. You know, the the uh, railroad uh, station tokens have you know the letters that represent the companies, the colors. It's very clear. Uh, a lot of times, the uh, tokens are stained to match the color of the sticker or the of the train company so it's really really nice don't get me wrong but uh, i found that some of the stickers for the station tokens were a little too big and they were kind of overhanging the edges of the cylinders a little bit and so i've had a couple kind of pop off or or start to peel off and you know it's not a huge deal he does offer some extra stickers which i think is awesome but you know that that was like one little nitpick like i wish that they fit a little bit better so that that wasn't uh you know a worry um, and then, of course, you know, the biggest problem with the game is its sheer size. You know, I mean, I have <laughs> I have a regular dining room table as my gaming table. It was my mother's table growing up. And this thing was amazing. Uh, it's a five-foot-long table made of walnut and, you know, the standard, what, like three-foot or so width. And, you know, when I played this scenario, I chose this scenario because... It only needed one map. And so I thought, maybe I've got a shot at fitting it on this table. (laughs) So I put the board out. I put the stock market board out, which is beautiful as well. And then I like start laying out the track tiles and I'm laying out the companies and I'm I'm laying everything out. And it's like every square centimeter, not inch, every square centimeter of that table was used. Some of the map surface was used. Like if it was a region like Spain, forget about Spain. Spain's dead to me. We're going to put stuff on Spain. We're going to pile it on there. And we barely fit it on the table. And I remember thinking to myself, man, if I was playing this with both maps... I, I would either have to be utilizing that map space as just places to put stuff, or I'd have to open up like the, the full leaf of my table, which is the full length of the table, like the whole top lifts off. Mm-hmm. So I'd have a 10 foot long table. Then I think it would fit on it, but <laughs> it's, uh, it, its size is a little bit of a problem. And it's a little bit of a problem. Uh, I'm going to give you an analogous kind of situation between Railways of the World, which was mm-hmm. my first real railroad game, and steam you know or age of steam like once i started kind of playing steam and age of steam not only did i find they were a little more challenging than railways of the world but they were so much more compact like i could actually fit everything comfortably on the table and i remember loving how railways of the world looked i mean it was this beautiful board and these plastic bits to put on the empty cities and all this cool stuff and i'm like this looks awesome but it was so big, I found it wasn't coming out because it was such a large game. I, I, I couldn't always like get it to the table, literally, and fit it. And it was a pain to set up. And, you know, it's like so eventually I kind of migrated because of the challenge reasons, but also, honestly, ergonomic reasons towards like Steam and Age of Steam. So, 
you know, that's that's one thing that I think, you know, you got to be aware of with this game is that even when you're playing a short scenario, it's going to take up a huge amount of real estate and you kind of have to be prepared for that. Um, and so I don't think there's a solution. It's not like they did anything wrong. As a matter of fact, they shrunk as as, uh, uh, you know, I'm sure, you know, um, they shrunk the, the tile track size down from the standard size so that, you know, it's possible to even fit it on any kind of a table. I think if they were the normal track size, it'd be even more ridiculous. Um, but, you know, so it's not like there's anything they did wrong, but it is definitely something that you got to think about when you're trying to set this thing up because it's, it's just, it's huge. And so... You know, that's when I started thinking of ways like I'm going to bag individual scenarios as I'm playing them to, to cut down on the setup time, to cut down on the table space. I'm going to use, you know, uh, unused portions of the map, things like that. Um, do you find that the, the size of this thing has ever like have you ever like not pulled it out because you're like, well, that's just so much to set up. Have you found that to be a con at all or does that not, not worry you? No. Um, so as far as size, sure. Um, yeah, you, you, you need to make sure you've got the table space and, and yeah, my, my, my <laughs> yeah. dining room table has, um, both leaves out. So it's, I don't know, maybe eight feet wide, something like that. And, and so I, I can fit the game, um, that there's not right. any extra space and, and, and like you, um, the track ends up on the, the board and sometimes the bank does as well. <laughs> um, but as far as setup, so right when I got the game and, and Mark did a, a great job of pointing people to, to Plano boxes. So I, I have almost no plastic bags. I think I have one or two in there, but I've got all the track in, in four Plano boxes. Wow. And I've got all, all the tokens in two GMT, um, one of those, those GMT, I don't even know what you call them, but they, they, they used to hold the, the hex stuff for the war games. The counter uh, the trace. The hex trace. Yeah, yeah the counter trace. trace. Right. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've got two counter trays for the tokens. I've got four Plano boxes for the track. Um, and, and so when I put the game away, the, the actual the, the Plano boxes for the track goes on top. Right, The right. box is filled without the track in it. Um, but I don't find setup to be that long. Um, and certainly, I wouldn't think any longer, eh, maybe a little bit longer than an average XX, but not more than 10 or 15 minutes. Um, it goes real quick. You know, the, you've got the, uh, the miners split out, and you've got the um, shares. Privates and all that, yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've got the, the shares set up by country. So, you know, once you hit the right country, you've got all those companies right there. and. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it takes much more. You know, I wouldn't say it takes much more than fifteen minutes to set up a short scenario. And if you're going to be playing it for four to six hours, that's not a whole lot of time. Yeah, you know, it, it is always a matter of perspective, right? So uh, I appreciate you giving a kind of a counter view to that because uh, you know that was one of the things that you know to me was difficult. Um, although, like I said, it got easier as I went along. Uh, as I kind of kept things sort of organized. So maybe, as you said, organization is really key, uh, as it is with a lot of games. I mean, I think about even a Euro game like Caverna. I mean, that thing mm -hmm. is ridiculous. Um, you, know, try, you know, if you don't have a, a way to kind of organize that, um, you know, that's something that can be quite daunting as well. Um, I think there's a, a, a guy actually from the Dice Tower, uh, Robert uh, Searling, who I think has a company insert here. Mm -hmm. 
And, yep. uh, you know, he custom designs these beautiful <laughs> inserts uh, for games like Caverna. I'll bet you he could craft something for 1808 that would be fantastic, too, yes? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I used to not play Puerto Rico for exactly that reason. That's a, a much shorter game. And mm-hmm. having to sit there and count out all the colonists and the victory, I was like, this, is, this just takes too long for what it is. And so I got on the geek, I was like, oh, I just, you know, bag them differently for the different player counts. And then all of a sudden it goes a whole lot faster. Oh, okay. Right, um, right. Yeah, being organized does help. That's for sure. Right, Jimmy? So uh, I appreciate you uh, uh, sharing those tips uh, with the Plano boxes and the counter trays and whatnot. Uh, because, you know, that, that would certainly go a long way towards making things a little bit easier to set up. So, you know, thanks for that. Are there any other cons that you have for this yeah. game? You know, we, we've had a lot of pros, but what are your cons? That there are two cons uh, from a, a production standpoint. One was completely outside of Mark's control, and, and that is the the game is on two separate boards. And so the, you know, when he sent it to the, the printer, um, I, I forget, I think the, the, um, the specifications, it had to be within either an eighth or a sixteenth of an inch. And so it, it satisfied that, but there's just this little bit of space in between the two boards. So when you put them up together, if you lay track on it, it doesn't quite fit. And so you need a, about of an eighth of an inch space between the two of them. Now that there are little clips, and Mark, Mark's been so good about on the BGG forums of here, you know, I use these clips to give it that space, and so I've done that, and that's fine. But that's certainly a, an irritation, at, you know, particularly in a game that's costing two hundred dollars. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. The second, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of you damned if you do, damned if you don't. So, yep that they absolutely needed to reduce the size so that it, it can fit on a dining room, a, a big dining room table. Right, right. The, the problem with reducing the size is now the track is smaller. And so, and not only is the track smaller, but the track completely butts up against each other. I, I think the board, I think the track is not bigger than the hexes on the board, but it's right up there. Usually there's a little bit of space in between Mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. in a, not in OE. They're, I believe there are identical sizes. So, anytime you upgrade track and you know, in OE because of all those track points, you're doing it quite a bit. You cause earthquakes on, <laughs> on all the track right around it. Oh, the humanity! Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so, what, what Mark has done? He's pointed us to um, a little vacuum sucky thing, so you can actually like suck up the the. Uh, the track so that oh, you don't, don't create the, it is it is that it's great <laughs> and then you hold it and then you can put the new one on there and then lower yep. it into place and then turn off the suction is that how yep. that works that's yeah. fantastic <laughs> it, it is cool it's like a two dollar thing off of ebay but oh amanda uses that my, my, my partner amanda uses that all the time and that's you know, great cl- of course, when I play with the guys, you know, we're all too cool for that. So we, we spend half the game fixing the <laughs> You get the, the meat the hooks in there. That that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants to use the delicate vacuum. Yeah, that's, that's great. Right. That's great. Yeah, I don't know that they could have done anything about that either. No, um, no. But, you know, I, I definitely have experienced what you're talking about. Um, and so it, it, it is a, um, a little bit of an issue. Yeah. I mean, 
I've kind of always felt that uh, the the track, you know, maybe because my fingers aren't as nimble as others, but I, I was always bumping things, and so, uh, you know, it, it's it's it, it is an annoyance. Yeah. Um, also, as far as that gap. Um, you know, if it's an eighth of an inch gap, I don't know if anybody has talked about it before, but uh, if you've ever laid tile, you mm-hmm. can buy at like Home Depot, there's little tile spacers that are designed <laughs> to give you a space for your grout line, okay? Huh. Um, because you might have a quarter inch grout line or an eighth inch grout line or, or whatever. You can buy mm. these little huh. plastic spacers. They look like little crosses, and oh, you cool. would slide that down in there to maintain the consistent gap at the two ends of the board and then put your clip on and that, yeah. that thing would never move and it would maintain a nice consistent uh, uh, space there. So um, there's my contribution, my first contribution yeah. to the 18XX world, the Home Depot tile spacer. So that might work <laughs> for people. Um, so I want to throw that out there. Yeah. The the other thing that just occurred to me, the other con, um, so <laughs> I, I, I don't think People wanted any more uh, paper. Uh, you know, the, the, it's already taken up too much table space. But one thing that that some people have found irritating with this is that, especially when you've got you know, full game, you've got thirty companies out there, and even in the um, in the small game, you've got ten companies starting out. Mm-hmm. Um, is there's no place to track revenue? You know, right. So yeah. a lot of other XX games, they've got a space where. You, you've got an extra token for each company, and you put how much did it run for the last time. And so the next time you run, you know, well, wait, it, it shouldn't be running for less than the last time. Or, well, nothing has changed. It's, you know, exactly the same. Or right. if you're paying attention when other people lay track, you can bump up your what you're running for. And so it speeds up the game quite a bit. Oh, yeah. OE yeah. does not have that. Um, no. That, no. The... the the last thing that, that I, I got from Mark was he has a hat, which is why I, I don't think it even crossed his mind. He uses D10s. Mm-hmm. So so after playing with him, I, I now have two sets of D10s in my poker chip box. And right. so whenever I play, you know, I can use two D10s to say what the, uh, what the revenue for each of the companies are. Um, nice, but that is that's probably the, the last thing that's that's a, a little surprising for a game of this size that it, it didn't have that revenue tracker. Right, right, yeah, no, that that's true, and I hadn't really thought of that uh, because there's there's so much math involved in the game as you're trying to calculate your roots and your values, and you know as you upgrade trains, now you're kind of recalculating and trying to think, okay, what's going to be the the more beneficial route now that I have the capability to do this or, you know, what have you. So, yeah, yeah, no, I I totally agree with that uh, as well. Well, you know, Jimmy, I want to thank you for uh, taking the time to talk with me uh, about this game. This is a game that I was really intrigued by, really excited to get, excited to try out and play, and uh, grateful for the opportunity to review it. And I'm really glad that it was something that I enjoyed, you know, because uh, I, I really understood that that this was kind of, you know, Ed and Mark's baby. And, um, you know, I, I, I have to be honest about my reviews. And, you know, sometimes I, I might sugarcoat things a little bit. Like I'll, I'll say, oh, well, this wasn't for me or I didn't quite appreciate that. And I try not to 
you know, there's the uh, people who know me and who listen know that if, if they hear me talking like that, it probably means that it's not really resonating with me and I'm just trying not to poop all over someone's dream. <laughs> um, and so I kind of like was really a, a little worried because this was such a, a massive game and, and he was willing to send it to me that I was going to be like, oh, you know, this is confusing. Uh, this is too much. I hate this. Or, you know, I didn't get that. Or, you know, but I was really glad that the game uh, played well that I understood it uh, with a little bit of help from Mark and, and from the, the rule book, you know, just from the rule book and, and talking through it with Lloyd. I really think this is a game that's going to stick in my collection for a long time, to be honest with you, because as we said earlier, it's got tons of replayability, lots of opportunities for scenarios and, and that epic game that someday I hope to play, you know, <laughs> be able to sit down and play the whole thing and, and just see what that would be like. And, uh, you know, feeling that kind of emotional drain when you're done. Uh, I imagine that would be just a really kind of a, a, a yeah. wonderful experience to have. And I'm glad that I've had the opportunity to check it out. So uh, I want to thank you for being a, a great sounding board and a great expert, you know, who's able to correct some things that I didn't understand and offer up all of the insight that you've offered, um, you know, that really has got me thinking. You know, you totally changed you know, the way I was thinking about nationalizing railroads, for example, and, you know, water movement, all of these things. So uh, the, the token blocking and, and how you kind of merge companies and fold them into each other to your best advantage. So I want to thank you for uh, taking the time to share your experience and share your knowledge with us and uh, for being on the show. Oh, it, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Not a problem at all. And, and hopefully I'll have a chance to talk with you again, uh, maybe about another game in the future. That would be very cool. Well, that's about all the time we have for this episode of The Long View. I, of course, want to thank my special guest, uh, Jimmy Okalika, uh, for being willing to come on the show and talk to me about the fascinating game 18OE. Uh, of course, want to uh, send a special shout out to my sponsor, GameSurplus.com. Uh, go and check out Game Surplus the next time you're thinking of placing an online board game order and discover why they are my first choice and why they should be yours. Their customer service is fantastic, uh, legendary. Anything you're looking for, they'll track it down for you. If you're trying to find an import, they'll find it for you. If you're trying to scare up a copy of a game that uh, is really hot right now and seems to be out of stock everywhere, uh, send Velma an email over at games at gamesurplus.com and she'll either grab one for you or as soon as she gets the next shipment in, she'll set one aside for you and send you a friendly email letting you know that it's in. So uh, go and check out why gamesurplus.com is a fantastic resource for board gamers. I also, of course, want to thank uh, my local game store, The Gamer's Edge in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Give them a little shout-out and a little love today. Uh, they are a growing resource for our region for anyone who likes board games, card games, collectible card games, video games, you name it, they've got it. That's The Gamer's Edge, conveniently located off of Interstate 80 in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, right on Main Street. So thanks to everybody out there for listening, and have a wonderful night. <laughs>